0: visiting here today. You picked a great weekend to uh, come to our church. And so uh, Cactus and Chapel Venue, Northridge, we're really glad to have you joining us online right now. And uh, as many of you know, we're starting a new series, or we started a new series last week, but this week we start looking at four different aspects of our culture that exhibit the fall that exhibit what happens inside each one of us when we get together collectively, how that plays itself out and even what God's recipes for redemption might be. So you've picked a great uh, weekend to come to church. I don't think you'll be disappointed that you have. Uh, before I pray and we get into our, our time in the Word, uh, you might have noticed in the bulletin or you might have heard this week that our, our dear friend, Pastor Tom Schrader, died this past week, uh, went into glory. Uh, it wasn't a shock to those of us who who have been tracking with him or who spend time with him last April, Tom was basically told he had just a few months to live because of his lupus and heart disease and then some other complications. Eventually he had cancer. And so when he preached here five weeks ago this weekend, when Tom preached here, we were praising God behind the scenes because we knew that he was had far outlived what they said and he was on borrowed time, if you will, and He just, I mean, the Holy Spirit really anointed his time, and I was able to be with Tom uh, just a few hours before his death uh, last weekend and uh, help usher him into glory, and and I would just say as a pastor, I don't say this usually too often publicly because my job is not to grieve publicly, it's to lead people through the time of grieving, but as somebody who loved Tom deeply, man, I'm going to miss him like crazy. I, I never met a pastor like Tom. I don't know if I ever will. And I know that many of you have been ministered to him by as well. Uh, he um, he actually he requested that the funeral service be done here at Scottsdale Bible, uh, one, because of the size, but also because of his friendship with our church. So uh, two weeks from yesterday, 10 a.m., so February 2nd, we're going to hold a service here for Tom, and my guess is it'll be absolutely packed, if not for Redemption Church, also from Scottsdale Bible. So pray for his family. Sarah and Haley are his two daughters. He has, uh, they're both married. They have grandkids. Uh, Sandy uh, was his, is his wife, and so I pray that you would uh, pray for them too. So let's bow right now and pray, and then we're going to dive in. Father God, we do thank you for the great hope that we have as followers of Jesus, that as the Bible says, we grieve just not like the rest of men who have no hope. And so God, we grieve and we hope at the same time. And that's a very difficult thing to do. So Lord, we're gonna miss Tom like crazy. And Lord, I've already felt lonely and empty this week as I realized that at least until heaven, I'll have no more conversations with him. And God, many of us have been touched by his ministry and how you used him and his personality and his gift mix. And so, Father, we pray for for Sandy, we pray for Sarah and Haley, his family, his grandkids. We pray that you'd be comforting them during this time. As they tell stories, as we all tell stories about Tom, because he was such a character, may it bring smiles to our faces, and may the depth of his teaching continue to mark us today as well. Father, speaking of teaching, we're going to turn to your word right now, and we have a very important topic before us, this idea of the fall and how it's playing itself out in the culture around us And so, God, give us ears to hear and eyes to see, to understand your word, your revelation rightly, and apply it diligently to our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, and we all say together, amen. So, here's a good starting place, because every one of you feel it, every one of you know it. We could all tell stories about it, even from this past week, and that is that life today moves incredibly fast. In fact, let's just say it like it is, it moves Too fast. It moves too fast. There's a guy who I've been tracking for years that is kind of an expert on this. He writes regularly about our runaway culture. His name is Dr. Dick Richard Swenson. I call him the margin guy, the margin guy. You'll see why in a minute. Uh, Swenson's a really smart and well-educated man. He earned his undergrad degree in physics from Denison University, and then after he got his medical degree, he went into private practice for about 15 years while also becoming an associate. clinical professor at the University of Wisconsin Medical School. He's also a follower of Jesus Christ. And because of his clear sense back in the 1970s and 80s that his patients' lives, as well as his lives, were careening out of control, and that they had some physical and emotional and spiritual problems, not due to just failing bodies, but due to the impact of culture around them, he decided that he was going to put his money where his mouth is, and he, he quit medical practice. He went down to about a 20 to 30 hour work week, he he had a lot of margin to his life, and he decided he was going to make his living writing and speaking about the out of control pace of modern life and how to get some control back. He calls it cultural medicine, the intersection of health and culture. And he's done very well at it. He's written eight books, translated into 11 different languages, being read in over 150 different countries to this day. It's a theme that has hit a chord with a lot of people in our modern world. And his most popular and groundbreaking book that was written probably about 20 years ago is called Margin, Restoring Emotional, Physical, Financial, and Time Reserves to Overloaded Lives. It's a simple argument. He just says, picture a page of paper with some writing on it, and we used to in culture have a lot of white space on the edges of the paper of our lives, and now we don't. We have filled our lives absolutely to the max, and we have no more margin. That's why I call him the margin guy. And it's a great read. I've read this book multiple times over the years. I preached an entire series on it back in 2012 here in this church. I'm sure all of you remember it. It's this idea of margin. And here's a great refresher of what he's really getting at. If you go to his website today, and you can do it after church today, you'll see a section on his personal website called Dysfunctional Math. Dysfunctional Math. He's a, a real physics type and math kind of guy. And his his definition of dysfunctional math is that when you look at the statistics of what is happening in culture today, when it comes to knowledge, when it comes to transportation, when it comes to our everyday lifestyle, there is an exponential growth of change that is happening right now and has been for the last 100 years. Now watch this, that has never before been seen in the history of the world. In other words, when you look at the level of change in the world for as far back as we know, it it, it does increase, but it increased at a relatively slow pace. And starting about 100 years ago, it it started to exponentially careen out of control, and he calls it dysfunctional math. Let me read for you some of these stats off his website, because this is going to blow you away. At least it blew me away. It shows us just the complexity and fast-paced nature of the world we live in. He says more video is uploaded to YouTube in 60 days than all three major television networks created in 60 years. Let that sink in a minute. He says Google scientists recently counted over 1 trillion URLs on the web. One trillion right now there. In your general lifestyle, I love this one, he says that if you go to Starbucks, he's actually done the math, there are over 55,000 configurations of coffee at Starbucks. (laughs) If you have a job, he says that each of us, right now if you're an average desk worker, you will start something new at your job about once every three minutes, if you just live a normal American life, he says that you need to learn to operate about 20,000 pieces of equipment in your lifetime. I mean, these are just normal things. I love these ones on artificial intelligence. He says artificial intelligence is increasing 10 million times faster than human intelligence. He says information is increasing at a compound rate of 60% annually. He says, there was more change in the last century, the 20th century, than all recorded history prior to 1900, and there will be a thousand times more change in this century than the last one. I mean, it's just exponential growth. I love this one. He says, in the year 1800, there's only one city in the world with a million people in it. Today, there are 381 cities with a million people in it. I mean, it's just incredible when you look at the stats. He's a physician, so those of you who are physician-minded will love these ones. He says there are 35,000 publications a year in neuroscience, and no single researcher knows even 1% of that. He says if I read two healthcare-related articles every day for a year, next year at this time, I will be 1,000 years behind in my reading. That's how fast knowledge is increasing today. And one last one. There's so many of them. You can read it later. It'll just blow your mind. For those of you young families, venue especially, you feel this. He says, the cost of raising a child to age 18, so not including college, just to age 18, is now an average of $235,000, and that's up 40% from just a decade ago. You see, here's what I need you to feel, and you already feel it, but maybe now you might know why. And that is that culture is increasing at a pace in its fastness, in its complexity, in its knowledge. We have to label it dysfunctional math. We all feel it. We all know it. And here's what you need to tie together. It's why we're frantic. It's why we can't seem to keep up. It's why we even feel tired all the time. To use Swenson's terms, we're engaging in marginless living because we're massively overloaded. You know, I feel this all the time, and I feel guilty about it. I mean, I've been doing this or studying this stuff uh, since I know Swenson. I've been studying this stuff for almost 30 years now, and yet every week my battle is not to get caught up in the frantic pace of the culture around me. Last week I was talking to my dad. I talk to dad every Sunday night now that mom's gone. He likes to talk to me more now that mom's gone. And so it's kind of fun. And uh, which means about, about 20 minutes and then he hangs up. But we talk about 20 minutes every Sunday. And I was telling dad what I was preaching on in the series. And I said, you know, out of the four things we're looking at, I, had, I got three of them nailed down tight. Like next week when we talk about values I got an up on most of you guys. The week after that, when we talk about our view of God, I'm there. When we talk about hope, I got it. But I said to my dad, when I talk about this idea of frantic pace and marginless living and all of that, I feel like a hypocrite. My dad, being gentle, said to me, "Now you're not a hypocrite. You're just human. But I said back to him, well, let's just clarify. I'm a fallen human. And that's really the point, gang, of this series, that our drivenness, our constant frantic pace, our lack of white space on the pages of our lives, it's all indicative of the fall. If you wonder where it comes from, why our culture is the way it is, it's because you get a bunch of sinful people together in a thing called a community, Scottsdale, Phoenix, wherever you live, and before you know it, that conglomeration of sinful natures can create some insecurity and dysfunction in a culture. And so that's why this series is so important to look at, because we're not just establishing that you're fallen. We're establishing that we're all fallen. And when all of us get together as a community, even as a church, what do our sinful natures together produce? And one of the things that we're seeing here today, and you can't escape it, is the frantic pace of modern culture. You feel it, I feel it. We can't escape it in 21st century living. It's the fall of humankind, working itself out in our culture. So I promised you last week that we wouldn't just be negative in this series because for every fall that there is in this world, God has provided also redemption. So let's spend the rest of our time talking about what redemption might look like here in light of the frantic pace of our culture. I mean, if we dare to do life God's way with his wisdom and empowered by his Holy Spirit, what prescriptions has he given us that might help us not succumb to this aspect of the fall that is so pervasive in our daily lives? And I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it right now. I didn't do this last night, but I thought... Some of you like to know where we're going. So in the next 26, 27 minutes, we're going to wrap this up. uh, Here's where we're going to be going here. I'm going to basically tell you three things that seem so simple, but I'm going to help you realize that you have more ways to go with these things. But there are three things the Bible screams at us. And the three things would best be described this way. You need to slow down. You need to start pacing yourself. And you need to connect rightly With your Savior. Let me repeat that. You need to slow down, you need to start to pace yourself, and you need to connect rightly with your Savior. Three principles that the Bible teaches us about this world and us and God that are gonna help us not fall into our crazy culture. Here's the first one, and that is that you need to slow down. Why? Because your soul was designed to refuel through downtime. I know some of you are thinking right now, you're thinking, well, duh, who doesn't know that? Here's the problem. Everybody seems to know that. Very, very few people seem to live it. It's fascinating. One of the things that Dick Swenson points out in his book, Margin, you really should get it if you can. It's a fun read, is that uh, when we invented artificial light, it really messed up our lives in ways that nobody predicted. In other words, think about, remember that show, Little House on the Prairie? You guys ever remember that show? Some of you didn't watch TV back then because you were legalists, but there was a show called Little House on the Prairie and, 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 it's, and it chronicled life in the 1800s on the prairie and what it was like. And if you remember that show, they didn't have electricity, all they had was candles. So if you can think of that scene, they would go to bed when the sun would go down, and then they would get up when the sun would rise, And they might have a candle once in a while to to maybe read by candlelight, but you'd risk great fire to your home. So they didn't do that very often. There was a natural rhythm to life, Dick Swenson points out, before we created artificial light. And and it gave you plenty of sleep, and and it gave you kind of a, a natural way to have downtime in your life. But he points out that when we created artificial light, which is a good thing based on electricity, now I had somebody just say to me, my daughter, I called my daughter before church today. And I said, hey, honey, how you doing? And she lives in Texas getting ready to go to church. And and she was still in bed and my wife was teasing her and saying, what were you doing last night? She goes, oh, I didn't get to bed till about 1.30. I had some friends over, you know, the millennial, the young generation. And now she's laying in bed at eight o'clock trying to get her body out of bed to go to church. How could she stay up till 1.30? Laura Ingalls would have never stayed up until 1.30. <laughs> I, I mean, how can something like that happen? Well, she has this thing called a lamp, and a TV, and, and street lights and all the modern conveniences, which I'm not saying are bad. They're wonderful things, but what we need to see here is that that can create havoc on our bodies, which were, which were designed to slow down. You see, here's what we need to understand. God has designed our lives to have consistent, regular time to refuel, and this, this is going to be what some of you push back on, and that can only be done through things like stillness and downtime in your life. Not watching TV, not going for a walk, not having a hobby, all those are good things to do, but actually Slowing down to the point that you are still and can refuel in quietness. I, I, I was scouring the Bible over the last few weeks to try to find some verses that would kind of underline this idea of stillness and downtime. And, and what hit me was how many there are in the Bible that talk about the fact that we need to live our lives with a healthy dose of stillness in our lives. And so instead of giving you just one or two verses for this point, which I'll do for the other two points, let me do something right now that I think will be kind of special. In Northridge and Chapel and and Venue and Cactus, I think this will be helpful for all of us. I'm gonna sit on my stool here and read some of the verses. By the way, in this one search, I found just 90 of them in the Bible, 90, that talk about stillness. Let me read these for you. They're not gonna be in the monitor, not on the screen. Just kind of maybe close your eyes and soak them in, and and, and this is what God says to you about this idea of stillness. Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Exodus 14, 14, the Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Isaiah 40, verse 31, but those who wait for the Lord, they shall renew their strength. I like this one, Job 37, 14, hear this, O Job, stop, and consider the wondrous works of God. Many of you know this one, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Uh, Psalm 131, I've calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child, my soul is before me. I like this one, Psalm 62, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. Psalm 37, be still before the Lord, wait patiently for him. This is a great one, Habakkuk 2 verse 20, but the Lord is in his holy temple, so let all the earth keep silent before him. Are you starting to see a pattern that the scriptures talks about? And by the way, I got 11 pages of these just from one search. This idea that God, who knows you and designed your soul, wants you to have regular time where you're not just doing something, but you're actually still and quiet before him to refuel your soul. You know, I became a Christian 38 years ago this year. So, in two years, I'm going to celebrate my 40th birthday or rebirthday as a Christian. And, uh, you know, when I first became a Christian back in the early 1980s, one of the first things my little church outside of Cleveland did is they put me in this class that they had. And it wasn't a newcomers class, it wasn't a membership class, it wasn't a doctrine class. It was a single class that was called How to Have a Quiet Time. Some of you remember these days where we actually taught Christians, new Christians especially, how to have what we call a quiet time. And some of you are new to this going, what in the world is a quiet time? Well, a quiet time is where you take time. And I remember them teaching this in this class. They said you take time every day. I raised my hand. Every day? They were like, yes, every day you take time and you get alone with God with no radio, no cassette tapes, this was back in the 80s, no TV on, and just you and God get absolutely quiet and you read the Bible and you talk to him and pray And then they even brought some Richard Foster stuff in it from his book, Celebration of Discipline. You need to learn to meditate Christian-wise on the Lord and on the truths of his word. And the idea was to spend a good one half hour to an hour every day in quiet time. And here's what's so cool about those early days in my faith is that because that was a class taught at my church and because many people were into that, we constantly talked about what God said or did to us in our quiet time. And here's the sad thing, I just don't hear a lot of Christians talk about that anymore today. I don't hear Christians talk about what God said to them in their quiet time or whatever you might call it, your devotional life, your times with him. The simple point is this, is that it does a lot of good for your soul in order to learn to spend stillness before him because in that stillness, God meets us and he fills us up. If you don't hear anything else today, maybe hear this point, your soul was designed to refuel through downtime. It's the first recipe God gives us to dealing with a frantic runaway culture that impacts us on such a regular basis. Now, these kind of build one upon the other. Out of these times of stillness and downtime, there's a second thing that God shares with us that can reverse the curse of our frantic pace culture. And that is this principle, that life is best lived at an even and sustainable pace. I told you this was coming. Remember that? I said we need to slow down and then learn to pace ourselves. So this is the principle. Life is best lived at an even and sustainable pace. In other words, contrary to what our modern culture tells us about life, because no one talks much about this, God tells us that life is best lived with a rhythm or pace that prepares us, now watch this, to sustain ourselves in the long haul. And you're saying like sustain myself for what? Well, how about fruitful service to him so that you live long enough to make a dent and and matter in this world? How about to be there emotionally and spiritually and relationally for your family and your friends and your loved ones? You know, we all know that as people age, they get more cranky, they get more crotchety, they get more controlling and that's just part of aging. But part of what happens too is that we've allowed the pace of life to not sustain us in the long run because life is too fast paced. And so by the time you get old, you're so tired, you don't want to put up with the younger generation. So this is a really important principle for many of us in our lives to put into place now, this idea of an even and sustainable pace to prepare us for the long haul. And what you need to know is that this is eminently biblical. Now look at a couple of passages with me right now from the Proverbs. The Proverbs, as many of you know, are wise sayings found in the Old Testament. And Proverbs 13, says it this way. It says, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. I put in yellow there what I want you to focus on, that little phrase, little by little. Because what you need to see is that there's a pace and a rhythm to this. God is saying, man, if you want to have a fruitful and productive life, then day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, little by little, have a faithful, consistent rhythm to life in whatever you do, and you'll probably do it well. It's this principle of pace and then if you don't buy that one, look at this one. This has more visuality to it as it gives us a visual here. It says in Proverbs 28, 19 through 20, he who tills his land will have plenty of food, but he who follows empty pursuits will have poverty, I like this, in plenty. A faithful man will abound with blessings, but he who makes haste to be rich will not go unpunished. Now what's it saying? In contrast, these two phrases in yellow, tills his land, and makes haste. You and I don't live in an agrarian culture today, but they do exist around the world today. And if you lived in an agrarian culture where agriculture was your main source of living and you didn't live in a time and day where you have combustible engines and electricity and all that, the only way to till the land would be either by hand or with the help of maybe an animal like an ox or something like that. So picture a guy with a huge field and maybe a few of his kids tilling a land either with an animal or by hand. And how would they do that? Well, they do it like this and like this and like this and like this and row by row by row. Are you sensing the rhythm to life? Field by field, they would till the land, and what God says is that he who tills his land is eventually going to have plenty of food, but somebody who wants to find shortcuts to that is going to have poverty in plenty, because if you try to find shortcuts, now watch this, to the pace of life, then there's going to be some consequences to that, And here's the simple point, gang. What the Bible tells us is that life is not meant to be lived at 110%. And that's where it goes against our current culture, right? Because if you read men's health magazines and adventure magazines and you watch Vin Diesel movies and things like that, the message that you get is, man, just go for it. I mean, just live at 110%. Man, always be in top gear, The Bible says, man, if you do that, you're eventually going to crash because what comes up must come down and you cannot sustain that for all of your life. And again, I know what the pushback is. Some of you are saying, well, I've been doing that for 60 years and I've sustained it. Well, ask your spouse after church today, seriously, what kind of impact that kind of living has had on your relationships on your soul, on your spirituality. So maybe you've escaped the consequences physically so far. But we're not talking just physical. We're talking about relationships with God, with others, your soul, your emotions. You were meant to live life at an even and a sustainable pace. You know, I confessed earlier that I uh, I, I, I preach strong on this subject, probably even too strong because... It's just so eminently personal to me and I, and I wrestle with this every single day. I had an amazing experience here at our church about three, four years ago that I didn't think I'd get through. I've, I've told you about it before, but maybe you've forgotten. You know, I'm on my 12th year here as your pastor at Scottsdale Bible and the first five years here were just a whirlwind. I mean, we had to right the ship. We had a lot of work to do. I, I was, I was lovingly, lovingly battling a lot of people who didn't want some change and I won, and uh, and and you know, and it was, uh, and it was really a hard five years. I mean, it really was. I, I, I was like, wow, this is a lot tougher than I thought. Uh, but we weren't near done yet. That just established, you know, that I was your pastor, and that we needed to move forward. And in 2012, we announced this three-year campaign that many of you remember, called Compelled by Grace. And it wasn't just a huge financial campaign; it was a huge vision campaign because we were talking about what we wanted to do on this campus. We were talking about starting another campus, which we did. We were talking about developing a more aggressive strategy to world missions. I mean, we just went for it. And during that three-year campaign, God showed up, and our church grew, and people got saved, and it was an incredible time, more importantly, of just galvanizing us as a church. Some of you felt it, but we stopped whining less We stopped being petty about silly things. My my negative emails decreased dramatically through that series. Seriously, I mean, it was really beautiful to see because we got our eye on the things that mattered most. But it was a lot of work. And at the end of 2015, as we were finally wrapping up this whole compelled by grace thing, and this doesn't happen to me very often, I hit a massive wall that I didn't see coming. I mean, my joy factor was really low I was burned out in being a pastor and I didn't even wanna be a pastor anymore. My friend, Dave Cavan is here right now. I just saw him, there he is. Uh, Dave, look up at me. Dave's right there. And, uh, and Dave and I remember having breakfast and I'm just whining to him about how hard this is and how I just don't even wanna be the pastor of this church anymore. And you gotta have friends like this. He looked at me and said, you're way too young to feel like that. <laughs> and he was right. Uh, but I needed to do something because I really, was burned out. And I knew one night when I was on the computer at midnight, not looking at what you think I was looking at, I was looking at want ads for other churches. And that's not a healthy thing for me. And so I went to the board and the elders and I, and I told them where I was and what was happening. And again, we have great elders in this church and they developed a, a, a recovery plan for me that might be helpful for some of you who feel burned out. And the recovery plan essentially had four components to it. You need to develop a better pace you need to prioritize what really matters. You need to take some of the pressure off you, and we need to do something with your personal life. It really was life-giving. Pace-wise, the biggest change the elders made, and some of you have felt this, is that by and large, generally speaking, I don't do anything church-wise before 9 a.m. I used to have two breakfast meetings before I came into the office here because we were doing so much work, but 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 before 9 a.m. now, generally speaking, I'm not a legalist, but generally Um, the elders said, we want you to spend that time with God and with your wife, Kim. And and I gotta tell you, that was incredibly life-giving to my pace to say, I'm gonna spend those morning hours with the Lord. And and then under priorities, they said, you need to get some of your priorities right and and you need to start prioritizing preaching and teaching because that's what we're actually calling you to do. Uh, We want you to limit some of your pastoral care and staff load. We want you to limit how many boards you're on outside the church, because at that time I was on four different boards outside the church. Now I'm on one, actually two, but one ends here in May. And then they said, we want you to engage in ministry activities that restore you, not deplete you. Again, this might translate to some of your lives as well. And then under pressure, they said, well, you can't really take all the pressure off you, but we're going to hire some staff. And we did. That's why we've had a real turnover in staff that that are going to take the load from you on the things that we don't think you really need to do because we want you to focus on preaching and leading. And then under personal and I hope you can laugh at this, they said, "Well, you know, if you need therapy, get it." And uh, <laughs> and they said, "And we need you to start connecting with other other people and more small group intimate level." So I started a men's group that I meet with weekly now and and I, and I really do get therapy. I, I got a great friend who is a therapist named Larry Crabb. And about once a quarter, I fly into Charlotte and spend a day with Larry just unpacking some of the things that I might be feeling. Here, here's my point in telling you all of this. <laughs> is that I was so burned out at the end of 2015. You can ask my wife, I really didn't think these four things were going to do it. I'm not a hopeless guy, but I felt so... I know discouraged and just fatigued and all that, that I thought, I just don't think this is gonna do it. And I was surprised, as Lewis would say, I was surprised by joy by about April of just applying this for three or four months, how my spirit started to get buoyed, how my energy returned, how my hope came back just through pacing myself. And I gotta tell you what, that was only two and a half years ago, almost three. I can't tell you how great I feel today. I still battle the frantic pace of culture, but I've learned in pacing myself, it helps tremendously for what God might wanna do through you and through me in the long haul. I was with a dear friend this week who who had a terrible skiing accident and and he's bound up at home for a few weeks and he said to me as we were talking, he's a very, very successful professional man. And he said, you know, as I've been down here resting from the skiing accident, you know, and, and kind of downtime, He said, I've realized my life is going way too fast and I desperately need to pace myself. I said, I hope you dial in this Sunday and listen to the sermon because we're gonna be talking about that. Maybe that's for you as well. So how do we deal with our fallen culture that tempts us to go with the flow of of its frantic pace? Well, we realize that our soul is designed to refuel through downtime. You gotta slow down. We realize that life is best lived at, a, at an even and sustainable pace. You got to pace yourself. And then a third and final thing we must note today, and this is the capstone of it all, and that is that the right kind of faith will lead to rest. Now, the right kind of faith. I, I worded this very, very carefully. And some of you are saying, what do you mean? a right kind of faith. One last scripture, let's let the words of Jesus speak to us and you're going to catch on to what I mean by this right now. Jesus said in Matthew 11 verses 28 through 30, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, let me ask you guys a question. I can't see you over at Northridge and Cactus Venue and Chapel, but I can picture it based on the response of Shay here, but I want all of us to participate. How many of you have ever heard these words of Jesus before? Raise your hand. It's one of the things that I love about Scottsdale Bible is that many of you know the Bible, and these are rather common words of Jesus because they're nice words. They're like inviting words. I've come to me, and I'm gonna give you rest. Here's the problem with the fact of why most of us know about these words of Jesus. And that is, have you ever really wrestled with what Jesus is saying to you and me here? And what I mean by wrestle is, have you ever wrestled with what he really means by come to me and I will give you rest? Because on my most honest days, and let's just be honest right now in the house of God, and I think God can take this kind of pushback, I'm tempted to say to God, God, coming to Jesus doesn't always seem to be restful. And if God was to say, what do you mean by that, Jamie? I'd say, well, God, when I came to you and accepted your son Christ as my savior, within about a year, I realized I now need to do this. I need to battle sin, forgive others, deny self, obey you, love others, read the Bible, pray, keep watch, be on guard, go to church, serve, worship, give generously. Tired yet? In other words, there's times where I feel in my Christian life, and I know you do too, that I've traded one frantic pace in the world for another frantic pace now in my Christian life. Any of you relate to that? And it doesn't help that at church, they overload you then too with all these other things that we need to do. And before you know it, we're just like the world around us. Then we come to church and go, come to me all ye who are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble of heart and you'll find rest for your souls And we go amen. And we have no idea what Jesus means by that because we're not really experiencing that. So what does Jesus mean by this? What have we not understood about this passage? Here's my best stab at it. The first thing you need to do is understand the context of Jesus' words here in the whole Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Matthew, much of Jesus' teaching, now don't miss this, is in the context of the Old Testament law and all the RRs. RRs, all of you are familiar with. They are religious rules. And we have them today and they had them back then. And so much of Jesus' teaching is in the backdrop of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, the religious leaders, essentially saying to the people, if you want to be religious, you better obey all the things found in the law. And you better live all of them perfectly and to the best of your ability. And then they even said, and we're going to help you obey the law by adding some of our own rules as well. And pastors do it today, right? Like we're expounding on the scriptures. We say, oh, by what this means is you shouldn't go to that show. You shouldn't eat this kind of food. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't do this. You should never drink booze. All these things that we say... And before you know it, you're already feeling overloaded enough with what the Bible says. Now you got what the religious leaders say, and that's the backdrop of Jesus' teaching here. They were burdening the people with all of these things, the law, and the religious rules. And so Jesus, in that backdrop, says, come to me. Now pause right there. Notice he didn't say, come to my teaching, come to my principles, come to my lifestyle, come to my church come to my program. He didn't say any of that. He says, come to me as a person, as an individual, in relationship. Just come to me. And he says, when you come to me, you're going to find grace. Before I ask you to do anything, Jesus says, we're going to talk about Grace how you can't do anything to earn my love, how you can't do anything to earn your salvation, how you can't do anything to get a place in heaven because you're too fallen. All you can do is come to me and receive my grace, receive my forgiveness, receive me into your life. Start to walk with me because that's not burdensome and that's a joy. And then Jesus does say that once you've done that, let's be realistic, he wants to help us grow. Now don't miss the 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 order here, come to him, experience grace, then he says, we'll do some things to help you grow. And that's gonna probably involve going to church, hanging out with some Christians, learning to forgive, learning to give generously. All the things that we talk about here, those are things that Jesus wants to help us with. But don't miss this, gang. They always flow from his grace. And he says, if you get that, then you're gonna find rest for your souls, because the things that he wants you to do to grow are not going to be burdensome. They're going to flow out of relationship. Kind of like for those of you who are in a really, really good marriage, uh, you know that if your spouse asks you to do something or says, I want to go to this restaurant tonight, and you don't really feel like going to it, if you have a great love relationship with your spouse, it's not burdensome to say yes, because you take joy in seeing him or her pleased. That's what love is all about. Jesus is saying the same thing, that when you come to me, Come to me in relationship. Come to me in grace. And as you do so, the things that we start to work on in your life aren't going to seem burdensome like all these religious rules. And here's where things get really tricky. One more thought on this because this is really important. I've included for years an arrow that goes back to grace from growth, and here's why. One of the things I've noticed in church people is that over time, as our spiritual life gets stale, as things get mundane, as we go on in our spiritual life, it's easy to link growth with a bunch of rules. You ever notice that about church people? In other words, we forget the grace. We think grace is for kind of the new Christians. We think grace is for beginners. And as we start to grow, we start to codify our faith We start to make it more of a program, more of a a thing to do. And before you know it, we're telling everybody else around us, well, you should do that, and you should do this, and you need to be doing that. And whenever I see Christians like that, you know what I've realized? They're doing that to their own soul as well, amen? They're a taskmaster to their own soul. And all they've done in doing that, even though they're Christians who have come to Jesus, is that they're going back to the law. They're going back to the things that Jesus was fighting against all of his ministry. And that's why I put this arrow here because regularly I have to go back to grace, regularly. And I've been doing this almost 40 years when I find myself getting way too tough, too almost, uh, you know, (laughs) (laughs) rule-centered. Rules are good, but they aren't what define us. When I find myself getting way too into that, I have to ask myself, have I veered from grace? And many times the answer is yes. Because if I'm not careful, I'm gonna get very tired very fast, even in my faith. That's why I say, this is the right kind of faith, a grace-based, relationally focused, Jesus-oriented faith that will be the key to your recovery from our marginless world. It will help you adjust your view of God and to find rest in him, as you also slow down and find a decent pace in life. All I can tell you is that this stuff really works. I'm still learning it. I'm sure I will be for the rest of my life. I'm a type A personality, but I know that when I apply these things, my soul feels better and I start to reverse the fall, even in this very fallen life. Why don't you bow with me let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the amazing teaching of Jesus who beckons us, who calls us to come to him because he knows that in coming to him in the right kind of faith, that we can find the best shot at rest for our souls. And Lord, I thank you too that that's just the beginning. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become more uh, like the people he created us to be. And, and so Lord, at that point, we need to slow down. We need to pace ourselves. We need to do the things to sustain us in the long haul. God, I simply pray as we wrap things up here before our elder fund right now, I pray God that, that you would help us as a church to live these things, that we might be a model to our kids, our grandkids, that we might be a model to the culture around us, that we would not be those out there always in a hurry to get somewhere, blaring our horns, cutting in line, but that we might be people, Lord, who have a peace about us that we can tell people comes directly from you and the things that you teach and do in us. That's my prayer. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.